0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the
1: Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up top of the hour, Haley Salvian from Sportsnet 960 and The Athletic. We'll talk about the uh, Calgary Flames. Kevin Kurz from The Athletic will stop by. We will talk about the Islanders in 3-0 win last night over the uh, rival New York Rangers, Elias Sorokin, just outstanding uh, in that game. In the meantime, uh, he is the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that is... Sitting on top of the Metropolitan Division at a 4 1 1 record and a goal differential of plus six. Uh, he is Rod Brindemore and he joins me now. Rod, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well. So um, I'm just flipping. Every year there's a couple of different. Books that I always try to reread. Like at the beginning of the season, I always I feel like an, an obligation because of what I do to reread the rule book, just so I have a, a handle on you know what the actual rules are in this game and make sure that things come easily to me. And I always reread um, Anatoly Tarasov's book. It's called How to Win the Olympics. And this morning I was reading a section on how to bring in new players. You know Tarasov talking about bringing new players into the national team, players coming, players going, and what he used to do to acclimatize the players to the new squad when you bring on like a a new player someone new joins your squad maybe it's a kid maybe it's a veteran maybe it's someone with a big personality like brent burns what do you do what do the hurricanes do to help blend the player in because the one thing we know about carolina is you know don waddell is not shy about seeing who's out there in the market and bringing in new faces
2: right yeah it's a that's a great question actually you know i think it's something that people don't talk about that much but you know you're dealing with trying to create that chemistry right and and make sure guys fit you know there's a lot of great players out there but they don't always fit um your group and so number one is identifying the guys that fit meaning their style of play personalities and then when they get here how do you how do you get them to be the best they can be and they got to feel comfortable right away so um it really just starts with number one the team, the guys that are here you know accepting the new guys that come in and by and large, I think you know you go from team to team there's a lot of great people around, but I think it starts with us with our leadership group they, they really accept the guys and try to make sure they're you know the families everything you, you gotta kind of cross all the the, the the T's and make sure that you know whatever it could be a school issue with kids could be a hockey issue with kids could be you know, whatever, and then, mm-hmm. then you, you talk about with the hockey part of it. You know, obviously that's where we come over as coaches, make sure try you try to make sure they simulate right away on what we're trying to do, and, and um, you know I think we've done a nice job of that as a group.
1: There's no doubt, uh, you're amongst the elite in the NHL and have been for a few years. Uh, I, I am curious about about Brent Burns, and you know we go back to the summer, and you know there was a, a large. Percentage of people have thought, okay, Pavelski and DeBoer, the old San Jose connection, they're going to lure uh, Burns to the Dallas Stars. He ends up with the Carolina Hurricanes. It seems right away like it's a like it's a great fit there. What is coaching Brent Burns like? Like I know you've only had six games of him, but what are the six games of coaching Brent Burns been like, Rod? Great. Uh, I try to
2: sum it up in one word. I, again, you're dealing with uh, just a, a great person. And I had the luxury because he got traded in the summer um, and, you know, he's got older kids that they had to get him in school. So he had to get here and, and just kind of worked out that uh, his son actually plays hockey and he's the same age as my son. So they're on the same team. So we had that going
1: and it just forced us to
2: spend more time together. um, You know, because we're at the rink, not only, you know, with his job, but then the real job being a parent. So we kind of get to spend more time together and I got to really just, you know, understand him a little bit and just a great person. So I'm along on that. And then, you know, you know, I know, he's a great hockey player, but he coming to a new system is totally different than what he's been used to. What I really appreciate uh, appreciate about him most, I think, is the fact that he's he's like a kid trying to learn. Like he wants to learn what we're doing and pick it up as quickly mm-hmm. as possible be the best he can be and I mean he's got the resume to just sit around and kind of say I don't I mean I I, you know I can do however I need to because he's been doing it pretty successfully for a long time but he wants to do it how we're trying to do it I just I really appreciate how he's come to work every day
1: you know there's a he's one of the most unique players this generation of hockey has seen and you know it must seem like a real luxury to be able to pair him with, you know, maybe the most dependable uh, defenseman in the NHL in in Jacob Slavin. It has that sort of odd couple vibe about it that, you know, Unger Madison kind of 1970s sitcom uh, written all over it. There's a very responsible Jacob Slavin. And then there's this kind of free spirit and wandering defenseman in Brent Burns. Uh, Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't. What makes this combination work? Well, I
2: think it's funny is you know, with talking to Bernsey, he, he's got that reputation that you just said, but it's really we found that it's really kind of not what he how he plays. Like I think he's actually very responsible. I just think um, it's it's kind of he, he has that uh, you know flair to him for sure. But uh, you know, it's a great pairing because I think pretty much number one, whoever you play with, Jacob Slavin is going to be a good pairing because of things that you said. Uh, you know, he just has the ability to read and help his partner out, but and they're still trying to, you know. I think there's a whole nother level they can get to as a pairing. And they're still, you know, relatively new. Um, but, but I, again, I think it's just, listen, if you're committed to to trying to do it the way that we want to do it, and it might be a little different, um, he'll get it. And that's why I think there's still room for his game to grow. And I'm talking Brett Burns as far as how we do things might be, you know, maybe he doesn't put up the mass numbers that he has in the past, maybe he doesn't play in many minutes, but hopefully be more effective as a, as a
1: team with uh, doing it that way. You know, one of the things in uh, talking to Rod Brindamore, head coach of the Carolina hurricanes here, one of the things that, uh, that I think I've always wondered about with Andre Sveshnikov is um, how come this guy isn't scoring 40 or 45 goals every season? How come he hasn't won a rocket Richard trophy? I know he's only 22 years old, but now I and mean, maybe just I watched him so much play with the Barry Colts of the OHL and saw what he, the the potential that he had. It seems as if it's clicking now. Seven goals, two assists, nine points, playing on that real nice line with Kudryavtsev and uh, and Martin Natchez. What's is there anything different about Svechnikov this year, or is it just a matter of well, he's a young kid and he's now really starting to, to figure out how to play in the NHL?
2: Yeah, I, I, wish I get asked that all the time, right? It's the obvious question because man, you, you see the talent. Uh, that 's there on a nightly basis, and then you you do look at and you say wow it 's numbers are okay, but they should be better on how you perceive watching the game He's you, pretty much you just noticeable every shift and um i I do just mm-hmm. think it 's just a matter of time maturing a little bit, being more confident in everything that you 're doing, not just play with the puck but away from it um and and then that just kind of natural progression you know, becoming a man, right? Like, he, he was always strong, but now he's kind of growing into his to, to his body a little more, and I think that that helps, too. So it's just a combination of a lot of things. At the end of the day, he's, he's probably the hardest-working, you know, player, if not the hardest one of them in the NHL. and So that, that helps, too. You know, he's always trying to get better.
1: Um, I want to ask you about the Vancouver game that we just saw earlier on this week. And it's a 3-2 game, although the score... Anyone that watched the game will look at that and say well, the, the score was pretty kind to Vancouver. The, the one thing that I continue to, to, to marvel at is watching team young teams develop and lose their panic. Like, I'm sure that once upon a time, Rod, you would have said in that game, okay, we're 1-1 going into the third period here, and the, the guys are going to start squeezing the sticks, and they're going to start rushing passes, and it's not going to be on the blade. It's, you know, the, that pass goes off a skate, that pass goes off a heel, and guys are trying to, to force it. I know he scored a couple of quick ones early in the third, but all the way there, you know, it's a, it's a tie ball game, and there doesn't seem to be any panic from your players either on the ice or on the bench. Was that true, or was that an optical illusion? Because you guys looked like you had ice water in your veins the yeah. whole game.
2: Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's a good compliment. I appreciate it. I think it's, it's it, it, we do have a confidence in your game. And when you have a confidence in the game and how you play, then the score is irrelevant almost, right? if that makes sense. Like, it's, you, you know, you control, what you can control, which is your shift. Go out. And it doesn't matter if it's 5 nothing, one way or another. It's, you know, there's a way to play the game. And, So you just got to go and do it. And I feel like that's kind of how we approach it. Now, obviously, at the end of the game, when you're up a goal, there's little things you're going to do differently. But for the most part, it's, you know, go out and try to win your shift. It doesn't really matter what the score is.
1: Um, It must be interesting and it must be exciting to know that somewhere down the road this season, you're going to be able to blend Max Pacioretty into this lineup. How often... Do you think about that, or you just think he's still a ways away? We're gonna we're gonna cross that bridge when we get there, or is that kind of in the back of your mind the whole time?
2: Yeah, that's it's been interesting because when we first got him, it was extremely exciting to think of okay, how, how our our top lines are gonna look, right? That's, just, that's a, a high end player. You're just adding to your group, and yeah, and then it, that that didn't last too long because I think it was two days that he got here. He, he had his injury, so then you just kind of put it on the back burner a little bit. And then, you know, I think it's more when when he kind of gets closer to being an option, you'll start to, you know, think, okay, how's that going to fit? But it's it's such a long ways away. You're It's really not uh, something to sure. think about too much. Um, we did lose Andre Kasha too. Uh, that, so, that you know, yep. when he went down, that kind of was like, wow, we're missing two pretty good players. Um, but but it, that's that happens. So I think in in terms of you know with Max, it's just let's let's have that conversation when he actually starts skating and getting in the group, and we know that the he's kind of on the horizon.
1: You know, at the end of last season, I think uh, a lot of us wondered, uh, and again, he's a young player too, but s- still, nonetheless, uh, a lot of us wondered about Martin Natchez and when it was going to, to start to come together. I know we're only six games into the campaign, but eight points. You know, as I mentioned, with Svechnikov, he's playing on that, you know, that really productive line. Uh, how does the coach see Natchez early on this season?
2: Yeah, he's, he's been great. The two of those two together have been really dynamic uh, every shift, you know, and that's something that's impressed me, um, and and not in a really not a lot of holes. So that's been really exciting for a coach to be able to say, okay, I can play you guys against you know anybody, and um, that's been good. And he's he's been driving the bus with his pace. And uh, I mean, he's always a skilled player, but he, he you know same kind of conversation like we just had with you know Andres. I feel like just another year of maturity physically. And it's just its showing that, uh, you know, on the ice right now, the way they're playing. And they're going to have their ups and downs. But you can see here they've both taken, uh, I think, another big step in, in how they're playing.
1: Uh, they sure are. Uh, I want to close on this one because uh, Elliot and I were just talking about this before you came on um, the Ethan Bear situation. I mean, we know the player wants to play. We understand where Carolina uh, is at right now and how Carolina is doing. It's a it's a tough situation for everybody. Um, how do you handle uh, the Ethan Bear situation right now from your perch?
2: Yeah, it's tough. We, you know, it's it's tough for him. I mean, it's not. You know, listen, we got we have a really good D, and you know, it's right now. On the right side, it's just that this it is what it is i mean we we're blessed to have good defense and most teams is that's an area that they're you know wish they would have the kind of depth that we have right now so it's just a numbers thing, and you know we're we get banged up, and next thing you know he's in there every day i mean we're pretty happy about it, so it's tough on him for sure. Um, I think he understands the situation and he's worked really, really hard. I, I you know, just trying to stay ready because you never know when your number is going to get called. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of how we approach it. And he's been a pro about it. Um, you know, we'll get him in here at some point. Um, but we are, you know, we just, listen, we've got, we got Burns on the right side and Pesh and now the game Chatfield has just yeah. played really, really well. So, um, you know, that's just, that's hockey and, you know, Good. The good news about it is he's certainly ready to go, and I like how he's handled it. And yeah. um, we got a great option there.
1: Did Did you have him? Ta- I think I read somewhere you had him taking draws in in practice the other day. Is that true? No.
2: I Yeah. I think he just went in as a, you know, for one, on a, on a we were doing something at one end and needed another guy. I mean, I don't know. I. Did, but it wasn't on purpose. That's
1: for sure. The- the, the, the only reason I ask is I'm, I'm just dying for the days of, like this used to be a common, you know this, like there used to be a co- more of a common practice in the NHL where in the defensive zone, defensemen would take the draws and we think of Alan Stanley, Boston would do it for Ray Bork. He would take draws sometimes. So when I saw, when I read on, on Twitter that, they, that Rod Brindamore has Ethan Bear taking draws, I'm like, ooh, this is, this is innovative Rod, yeah. Rod yeah. Brindamore and the Carolina Hurricanes. I got a, I got a, I'm, got a, I'm not going to lie to you, Rod I got a little excited. And the old school, yeah. you' got a little yeah. excited.
2: I hate burst
1: you
2: on that one, but if, if he's taking face off we got a problem.
1: That's awesome. Uh, listen, continued success. You play the Islanders tomorrow. They're coming off a big win uh, against the Rangers. Good luck against the Islanders, and good luck the rest Great. of the Thanks,
2: way. Thanks, Jeff. All right.
1: Take care. There he is, uh, Rod Brindamore, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes for a 1-1, and they look real good. And, it is interesting too because there are still some some impactful players that can't get into this lineup, and we mentioned Ethan Bear. And listen, I'm a big Ethan Bear fan, and and I thought that he was, you know, had a, had a tough time finding his spot with the Edmonton Oilers. Thought it was going to work out with the Carolina Hurricanes, as Elliot and I just talked about a couple of seconds ago. This guy is 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 going to help an NHL team one day. When he can finally find an nhl team uh that can get him in the uh, uh get him in the lineup there's a really really good player there um good to see martin natchez uh improving this season as well you know that was a player you know i remember going back to the the nico he draft in 2017 and I believe it was the Buffalo Sabers that were all set to take Natchez. and then someone called an audible at the table, and Casey Middlestat got drafted instead. And he fell to uh, uh, he fell to the Carolina Hurricanes at twelve, which was a uh, very much a gift uh, for Carolina, uh, as it turns out. Now there were a couple of awkward years there, certainly for Natchez, but so much skill. Uh, you think to yourself, the kid's gonna finally turn it around eventually. And early this season, he has. Um, and I think we all wondered, you know, what was going to happen with that second-line center hole? And was Jesperi Kudkanyemi going to be able to, to take that? And I know he's only got a couple of points, and the audition is still new, um, taking the, the, I guess you call it the Vincent Trochek spot uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes. But, you know, this is a team that if Svechnikov keeps firing, you know, this is a guy that I've always felt could win the Rocket Richard Trophy. You look at uh, Martin Natchez, who's emerging, and if things can work out for Kotkaniemi, look out. All of a sudden, that top six for the Carolina Hurricanes looks at that much better. And the other thing, I mentioned Max Pacioretty coming in. We'll see what happens with Andre Kasha as well. Um, the other thing about the Carolina Hurricanes that we always have to keep in mind, and most recently it was Jack Eichel. When there's a big name available around the league, whether it's you know your Taylor Hall's or your you know Jack Eichel's or Artemi Panarin's or whomever, Carolina's in. Like, don't ever think there. There are two teams that have always sort of been undercover on the big stars. Um, one of them are the Carolina Hurricanes. The other are the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche are in on pretty much all of them. All the big names you know the Carolina and Colorado are having serious conversations. You know, the Rangers ended up with Artemi Panera, and the Sabres ended up with Taylor Hall. We all know how those stories ended up. But your Carolina Hurricanes and the Colorado Avalanches are very, very much uh, in those conversations. Okay, so a couple of minutes here. Um, There are 10 games on the go around the NHL this evening, and it all kicks off with the Boston Bruins. If you missed the news, Brad Marchand returns. Uh, to the Boston Bruins. He'll play on that top line with uh, Patrice Bergeron and Jake DeBrusque. Uh, The Krejci line remains the same. A.J. Greer comes out on that one. Jeremy Swayman um, plays net tonight for the Boston Bruins. They'll face off against the Wings. Watch that on Sportsnet East, Ontario, and Pacific as well. Uh, a couple of other things here. Ottawa Senators, uh, who just redid a deal, an extension, two years for Kastelik. Uh, Ottawa Senators facing off against the Minnesota Wild. Mark andre Fleury gets to start there. It is the Habs and the Sabres uh, going at it tonight. Um, the Oilers and the Blackhawks, as I mentioned. Oilers coming off a fantastic game last night against the St. Louis Blues, so their road trip continues. Uh, the Dallas Stars coming off a tough one against the Boston Bruins the other night, face off against the Washington Capitals. Maple Leafs face off against the San Jose Sharks. Some line juggling there, uh, specifically with the uh, with the top line. Uh, Alex Kerfoot replaces Michael Bunting uh, to play with uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. It'll be Engval and David Kampf with uh, Zach Aston Reese, Bunting, Yarn Croak, and Malgin uh, is the line there. And the one that I think a lot of us are watching. Oh, by the way, the Leafs game is on Sports Ontario on Sportsnet Pacific at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 Pacific. In Seattle, Climate Pledge Arena, Vancouver still looking for elusive win number one. As it is Bruce Boudreau and the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the Seattle Kraken. It is a big night of hockey, 10 games. Haley Salvian joins me next, and Kevin Kurz from the Athletic. We'll talk about the PWHPA. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames with Haley and the Islanders with Kevin. Keep it here. Hour two's coming.
0: advice from Eilish
2: Forfar
3: and Justin Cuthbert in the fan morning shows Wake and Rake.
0: Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the
0: Sportsnet Radio
1: Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Kevin Kerr is coming up at the bottom of the hour. Kevin uh, covers the Islanders for the Athletic. Uh, Good day to be an Islanders fan after last night's command performance uh, against the Rangers. Command performance courtesy of Ilya Sorokin, who was fantastic uh, in that game, specifically in the first. Uh, Haley Salvian coming up in a couple of moments. We will talk about the Calgary Flames, a tour around the NHL, and also um, a tour around the PWHPA. Uh, which Haley writes about recently. But, you know, just mentioning that um, with Rod Brindamore, thanks to the Carolina Hurricanes for making him available today, mentioning that uh, Anatoly Tarasov book, if you're watching on 360, I'll show you that one. It's one of my favorite hockey books. And it's just because of passages like this. Like, I just love the way that Tarasov um, would speak. And this is... Like his whole system was predicated on passing. Like Tarasov's whole idea, how he sort of rejuvenated the Soviet program and took it to like heights that it had never seen before, is he would go to the World Championships with a pencil and a little notebook and he would count passes. And what he found was whichever team completed the most passes tend, tended to win the game, like overwhelmingly. And at that point, hockey, certainly in North America was, anyhow, was a singular rush sport. One player grabbed the puck and tried to skate all the way to the other end and score a goal. Now, a lot of this is because for a long time, the forward pass was outlawed. Then the forward pass was only allowed in certain zones. But I digress. So their whole system was predicated on moving the puck and passing. That later translated to the Philadelphia Flyers because Fred Shiro you know, had the nerve to study the Soviet system and read books like this, uh, How to Win the Olympics by Anatoly Tarasov. I just love little passages like this, and they're they're peppered all throughout the book. Tarasov, quote, The main thing about our passes is they come from the heart. Our boys are not stingy when it comes to passing. The Soviet pass is a new embodiment of teamwork. This is long out of print and really hard to get, and if you can find it, uh, grab it. I know it can be super expensive. I found it uh, at a card show for $2 years and years ago. It's one of my great finds, and I pick it up every year. As I mentioned to Moore a second ago, I pick it up every year just to reread it, and mainly... It's because of passages like that. Uh, someone who else I really enjoy reading, her name is Haley Salvian. Uh, she is a double threat, a writer, and a broadcaster, host of Hockey Central 960. Uh, she joins me now. Haley, how are you today?
0: Hey, good. How are you? Uh,
1: I am well, Haley Salvian. Uh, where would you like to begin? We can talk Calgary, we can talk NHL. I mean, you do a lot of things. Uh, you wear mini hats, we can talk PWHPA, we can talk about the national women's team. Uh, we can talk about the rivalry series and new faces, your choice. The floor is yours.
0: I mean, there's a lot going on. I think the first thing I've got to say is I can't believe you made me try to follow up Rod Brendamore. Isn't he? He's the best.
1: He's your warm up. That's where I'll go. He's your warm up. up He's the best. I like him. I mean, I, I, uh, to me, what I, what I love about Brendamore, and this is kind of what I love about the Carolina Hurricanes, is there a kind of a real mix of new school, old school. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, so in the 80s, because I'm old, I was a big fan of the band Tears for Fears. And recently this this video popped up of, you know, Tears for Fears because they're back together again now and they're uh, and they're recording again and touring, etc. And there's this live performance uh, that they do. You can search for it's from like, I think like a year ago. And it is like this perfect combination of like, Old school acoustic instruments like, quote unquote, real drums and real guitars mixed in with like, you know, new agey type technology that helps complement the sound. Okay. I kind of see the Carolina Hurricanes like that. Like yeah. this combination of old school meets new school. Like mm-hmm. any time you have like the big brains that the Carolina Hurricanes have, you're going to get a lot of spreadsheets to look at. And you get a lot of advanced statistics, but then you also have, like, this old-school work ethic and old-school theories that the, that Rod Brindamore embodies. Does that resonate with you, or am I just way out there on this? Am <laughs> I eating space cake on this one? Because that's no. kind of like how I see the Carolina Hurricanes, kind of like tears for fears. Yeah. I
0: mean, I've never listened to Tears for Fears, but I can, I'm with you when it comes to the old school, the new school. I mean, you look at some of their, you know, people in their front office. I mean, Eric Tolsky was, you know, big, a big Mm -hmm. data person. You know, I, I, I don't know if he was the first, but there certainly wasn't a ton of AGMs getting hired. In the league with with a massive data background. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but they've got a ton of numbers no, background one of the along he's with.
1: One of the, he's one of the
0: first. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And and I mean, Carolina is one of those teams that's always kind of trying different things when it comes to front office hires. If you look at some of their scouts and and different people, different women specifically that they've hired in the last couple of years, so you've got a lot of that new, um, you know, diverse mm-hmm. hiring practice along with that old school. I mean, you see um, the 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 old reflected I think in a lot of the forwards like they play like Rod you know and but he leads by example even though he's not playing anymore if that makes sense like that's the one of the more interesting things to me um you know I spoke to somebody who was on the team before and you know just like Rod's in crazy shape like you see him in the gym after after everyone's done or he's working out and and the players see it in their coach and you know what's it's It's like seeing your captain leading by example, like the coach still does it. Um, So you see the old school maybe reflected in in the forward group and the way that they prepare and the way they take care of themselves and, and the way that they play you know, their coach won the Selkie twice. So, um, it's, it's no, <laughs> it's not crazy to think that we're seeing, you know, a, yeah. a, the first two lines before the Calgary game, I was looking at this before Carolina was playing the flames last week. Um, and they, I think the only line that had been scored on at five on five was the third line. And, you know, you look at that and you're like, yeah, that checks out. Look at who their coaches. Um, so you see that old school blended with the new, I, I like watching Carolina a lot. I think they're going to be yeah. really good this year, so.
1: Do you know, uh, I'm just going to throw a dart here. I suspect yeah. you've read her work and she just got hired as a scout by the Carolina Hurricane. Do you know Ellen Etchingham?
0: I don't know her personally, no, but that was, um, somebody had sent me a note before she had been hired and, and said, like, this is another kind of thing that Carolina's is doing to kind of yeah. point out, like, this is a team that does things differently, Um that that old that new yep. those new hiring practices and diversity in hires um, they're bringing different viewpoints into the organization. And it seems to be working out pretty well for them.
1: I encourage anyone listening right now, and tell your friends as well. Mm-hmm. Her uh, her hockey blog, A Theory of Ice, is must read for anybody. I can't tell you how many people I've directed to that and have come back all with like a great you know thank you. That is like the one of the more enlightening hockey blogs I've ever read. Like I could read. Oh, boy. I, I'll go back and, and read things that she's written from like, you know, five, ten, ten years ago. And it's mm-hmm. still, you know, vibrant and intelligent and insightful because she comes at it from a perspective of someone like she's from Chicago um, and, and now lives in, in Kitchener. And she comes at it as very much a person that didn't grow up in the hockey environment. So she doesn't have the forest for the trees. Right. And so she can, you know, write and think without without a lot of fog. Like, I think we all grow up in hockey fog you know, Haley, mm-hmm. I've always felt For this sure. way. Like because we grow up, there's just some things that we assume that everybody knows, or there's yeah. one particular way of thinking that we follow. That everyone's following this track, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I used to love about about reading Ellen stuff and still do is. She never grew up with that hockey fog. I, I think she's honestly like one of the most brilliant hockey writers I've ever read. A Theory of Ice is the blog I encourage everybody to to have a have a read, have a go through. It's it's easy to get lost, like those some of those nights, right? You go down like YouTube wormholes. I go right. down like Ellen Etchingham, A Theory of Ice <laughs> or blog That's holes. because She's so good.
0: I'll have to check yeah, that out. Awesome. Somebody she's sent awesome. me a note when she got hired, and and that, yeah, I've got to check that out. I think the the hockey fog that you mentioned is so interesting. Because I get that with Mm -hmm. women's hockey more specifically. I mean, you know how convoluted and and muddy maybe things can get sometimes. So I feel like I always have to make sure I'm getting an editor or another writer to look at it and be like can you please point out the stuff that you're like what the heck does this mean this is women's hockey jargon this is (laughs) i have no idea what you're talking about and i feel like i have to check myself all the time because women's hockey is very much like you're talking pwhpa and phf and they're doing this and they're doing that people like what are you talking about you need to yeah you need to put this in some layman's terms here we don't we don't know what you're talking about
1: well let, let, let's drill on that a little bit then. Um, and I, I want to get to your piece on the PWHPA and, and, and what's next and, and what we can expect. But um, the national women's team uh, mm-hmm. announced uh, the 23 person roster. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some interesting names. Um, you know, Victoria Bach isn't there, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth Jagger is there, uh, and she plays in the PHF. And generally, this team is populated by PWHPA members and Lauren Gable. Uh, who signed a two-year contract with Boston of the PHF. She shows up there as well. Uh, Your thoughts on this one? This used to be the exclusive domain of if you didn't play in the PW, you didn't play here. All of a sudden, there are PHF members on Hockey Canada. What gives?
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say I've talked to... Um, you know, I've, I've asked this question of Hockey Canada and USA Hockey in the past and said, is there something going on here? Like, you guys not looking, giving looks to, to people from this league? Um, and, and we've seen a lot of PHF – I mean, not a lot, I'll, I'll change that. We've seen some PHF players being invited to camp in the last couple of years. I mean, Michaela Grant, Mentis comes to mind. Gable and Jaguar yep. were at the World Championship camp. There were some Americans at camp as well. They just haven't quite made the cut. Um, I think it's significant to see Gable and Jageran, and and there is something that I am working on at The Athletic, and and I've spoken to both of them in in recent weeks because they've both signed with the Boston Pride um, to get that kind of consistent, stable training environment. And I think you're seeing two players who um, are going to try to take that consistent training environment and turn that into... Um, a step in the right direction in their careers. I mean, Lauren Gable was the breakout star of the 2019 Women's World Championships, and we haven't really seen her on a senior national team yep. roster since then. Um, so you start to wonder, and then you see that she's with the PHF, and you start to wonder, all right, did, was this an impact of not having a league to play in? Because she was lights out in college, comes out of college, um, and, and we haven't really seen her at the the top top level since so you start to look at players like that who are coming out of college and saying i've got to go somewhere where i can play more and and try to keep my level as high as possible to get to the ultimate goal for a lot of these women which is the the canadian national team so i think it's great um you know there's not going to be some of the collegiate players on that roster so there's no sarah affiliate because she's the captain of the princeton team and she's going to be in the ncaa this year and there's a lot of of american players who are not going to be at this rivalry series and a lot of really good ones. So there's going to be no Taylor Heisey and there's going to be no Caroline Harvey uh, to and Hannah Bilka, like three of the the big big stars for Team USA at the World Championships last year. I think Caroline Harvey might end up being one of the best defenders in the world come the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. So that's someone to look out for on the U.S. side. Um, but you know, in the absence of players like Filia, like uh, Victoria Bach, I'm not sure if this was a performance thing or if there's an injury. Um, why she's not available for the rivalry? series. I don't know at this time, um, but no Natalie Spooner, uh, no Melody Dau. Yep. Um, so I think it's great that you're seeing Lauren Gable and Elizabeth Chaguer getting, getting the next call up because those are two players. Again, those are, those are Patty Kazmaier, best players in, in women's college hockey type players. These are elite, elite players. And it's nice to see them getting another mm-hmm. look and getting a shot at the senior national team level. And I'm going to be really curious to see, um, if moving to the phf for you know a more full season is going to give them that boost that they might be looking for um and then if they can steal spots when it comes to a, a world championships this this spring
1: one of the um uh, i want to get to your piece on the pwhp here in a couple of seconds and then mm-hmm. transition to the calgary flames and 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 stuff around the nhl um one thing that I've wondered about, and there's no one sort of day where it vanishes. There's no month where it vanishes. Um, maybe it's still there. Maybe it's gone. I I don't know. I'm curious if you have a handle on this. You now going into the Olympics last year, and again another like that was for me. That was the best Team Canada I ever saw. Like male, yeah. female, animal, vegetable. Like the, I don't care. Like that was the best <laughs> Team Canada I ever saw. It was remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we heard a lot about, you know, the need to capture the momentum and transition that into and funnel that into a new, a new professional, fully funded, supported, all of it, women's league around the PWHPA. Yeah. Is the momentum, it's, it's a tough question, but is the momentum still there?
0: Yeah, I think it's tough. I I think it might. I think the the momentum and the sense of of capitalizing on the immediate window after the Olympics. I mean, it's it's been, it hasn't been quite a year yet, but it's been what eight months since Canada won gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the the sweet spot would have been coming out of the Olympics, and and making an announcement. I don't even know what what you make an announcement at some big part of an NHL season. I'm just trying to think of you know, what before was the All-Star before, game before after the, playoffs, the Olympics?
1: Before the, be, yeah. Before the before playoffs.
0: Yeah, so you think you play- come right out of the Olympics. The yeah, amazing team Canada. Best. I, I thought they was the most dominant team Canada we've ever seen on the ice. And it, it almost, I had to check myself at the world championships being like, is Canada bad? And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> you need to stop. They just won a gold medal. <laughs> they just aren't score. They're not just breaking records every single time they step on the ice. I was like, I got to. I got to calm down here. Um, no, I think the, I think, you know, the, the ideal and I'm sure an initial plan would have been to come out of the Olympics and something, you know, right before on day one, like the puck drop of the, the, the first round of the playoffs and, and then have a season starting in September, October, November next season. And we know that some of their initial modeling was looking at a January 2023 start date. Um, but, you know, they start working with, with this new investor group and, in, in uh, May. And, you know, it, it, I don't think it was maybe realistic to think that they were going to turn around a fully fledged, uh, everything set in stone league in, in less than than 10 months. So I think that initial momentum from the Olympics, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not there anymore. But I do think there is some level of excitement that they can capitalize on with the fact that the Olympics are over and the best players are back in the PWHPA, if that makes sense. So you're not capitalizing on the post Olympic excitement, um, but you are going to be able to capitalize Mm -hmm. on, Hey, here's Mary Philippe Poulin playing on a line with, I don't even have the rosters right in front of me, but here's Poulin playing with um, some of the best teams from Canada and the U S best players, excuse me, from Canada and the U S here's Brianne Jenner. Um, on a line with Abbey Rock, and you can capitalize on the excitement in the sense that you can see what those rosters might actually look like if and when a league launches next year. So it's a mm-hmm. different kind of momentum. It's a different kind of optimism, but I would say that the initial spark post-Olympics, when we're looking at millions of people watching uh, and how good they were and how exciting this could be and sponsors are in on it, I think that's died, died down just because it's been so long but I think there'll be different waves of momentum and excitement that they they could and should be capitalizing on this season.
1: Okay. Haley, do you have a pen mm-hmm. and a piece of paper near you? Do you have a pen okay. and a piece of paper near you?
0: I do. I'm always okay. doodling. Yeah.
1: So Okay, okay. Excellent. Excellent. So are you a oh, fan, or I should say here. were you a fan because she's retired and now she's going into the uh, United States Hockey Hall of Fame on November the 30th along with her sister, Monique. Um, mm-hmm. Were you a fan of Jocelyn Lamoureux? I know Canadians, that's going to sting because of the shootout, etc., but uh, were you a fan of her?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I was watching her when I was a fan, no. Because <laughs> she, she was so good <laughs> in, in her Canadians' feelings, especially in 2018. But yeah, absolutely. Yes. Great great player like those two were so great for women's hockey in so many ways
1: 100 percent. so she competes last year uh all-star weekend in vegas in Mm -hmm. the fountain face-off okay yes that's the one where you're hitting targets and you're standing on the allen at the you know bellagio fountains etc so she comes in third place okay yeah she hits all of her targets in just over 16 seconds so there's only two players that beat her like Roman Yossi dusts the field. Like he does yeah. it in just over, well, just under 12, like 11.8 seconds. Zach Wierenski in almost 15 seconds. Uh, Lamoureux comes in third. So she beats Nick Suzuki, Claude Giroux, Mark Stone, and Jordan Eberly. Pretty cool, hey? Like that's yeah. remarkable. Like, that's well amazing. done. Awesome. So she gave birth to her third child on, write down this. September twenty, I think it was September 24th or 23rd. Okay. Do you know when that event was?
0: Um,
1: February 4th. February geez. 4th.
0: That's incredible. Do the
1: math. Do the math. September, February. I checked with her. I DM'd her and she confirmed that. She's like, yeah, I was two months pregnant. I just didn't tell anybody.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Awesome, Roman right? Yossi could never. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> could Roman Yossi have done that pregnant? I don't think no. so. Zach Wierenski have done that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. That's incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. Just one and minute. And think of night everything night that, that
1: I like thrown in there because I'm a fan.
0: Oh, it's so cool. And think of everything that her and like Jocelyn and Monique and Megan Duggan did specifically when it comes to, you know, women's national team players getting maternity leave. Like they were huge. Yes. For that and 100%. so many things that they did in the usa hockey contracts these are just incredible incredible women um when yep. it comes to on and off the ice and i had yeah i had no idea she was pregnant when she two months beat a bunch of guys in that two months <laughs> in the fountain yeah. face off Everyone's that's cool e-
1: everyone's having a beer and she's like now nah, i'm just gonna have a water thanks i'm good mm-hmm. um She's awesome. Uh, Let me ask you about your latest piece in The Athletic. Uh, The future of the PWHPA. Uh, We know there isn't the the league that many have... Wanted slash maybe expected by now, mm-hmm. but um, they'll still be playing plenty of games. Um, they won't be playing uh, for teams based on geography anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit different. And I know, you know, one of the criticisms is, is it's tough to build chemistry when you're training in Toronto and you're playing on a Montreal team. I get it. I, I understand mm-hmm. it. Or you're playing on a Montreal team, but you're playing on a on a, on a team where everyone's Harvey's, sort of drawing from whatever, different yeah. geographical locations. Yes, on it and Harvey's, et cetera. Um, what are the challenges they're facing right now? And do you have a sense of why this is taking so long?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just starting with that, with the rosters, I think those are the the roster change-up is probably the biggest thing that came across to me in terms of the changes that I think the, the players – Really wanted to see because at the end of the day, this still is a players' association, and they're really driving the bus on, on what they want to see and, and what's going to happen in, in the PWHPA. And I think a big thing was having more games, having a more like season slash league feel, having more parity. And I think if you watched last year, I mean, if you've got Montreal playing against. Um, I don't want to say Toronto. That's not a great example. If you got Montreal playing against one of the other locations that maybe don't have as many players or as many elite players. I mean, Mary Philippe Poulin and Melody Dow and Jill Sonia and Laura Stacey and Anne Renee Davienne are just gonna, you know, plow through everybody. And so I think changing yep. the rosters up was something they did it for parity. But it's also a thing that they're kind of. It's a what was told to me is this is very much a transition year to what they hope and expect a professional league to look like in the future, because, you know, something we've always seen in women's hockey is, um, you know, in the CWHL, the, you know, Jamie Lee Rattray lives in the GTA. So she's going to play for the Markham Thunder and Mary Philippe Poulain right. lives in Montreal. So she's going to play for Lake Canadian and women's hockey, you know, at least when we're talking about the CWHL, because of their financial situations, they could never really say, Yeah, you're gonna go and move to Boston because you just got drafted by the the Lady Bruins. that's a terrible name. I really hope if there's a Boston team they don't call it that. Um But <laughs> I don't that's think never really been something I, don't think I would hate that so that. much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's never really something that they had because of their financial situation. So I think that's something that right. Um, They're trying to play with right now in the sense of where you live is not necessarily like where you call home is not necessarily where you're going to play next year. But at the same time, Brianne Jenner said this to me is like, we can't actually move people to different locations until we get a professional league. So they've got kind of this half in half out way of doing that um but again I think there's excitement that comes from looking at those rosters you've got Abby Rock and Hillary Knight and Breanne Jenner on the same team you know you've got Dao and Poulen split up playing with other Americans so I think there's something really cool and exciting about seeing what some of those rosters could look like and what some of the line combos and deep pairs could be um who are the goalie tandems going to be so I think that's something that's you know it's it's not ideal, um, because they're, they're training with, with different people and playing with different people, but, um, there's some optimism coming there. I think in terms of, um, why it's taking so long, I think, you know, back in May I reported that they had signed a letter of intent with, um, Billie Jean King enterprises and the Mark Walter group to explore the launch of a new pro league. And that LOI is kind of, you know, formalizing, Working together exclusively towards that shared goal. Um, And they are still working exclusively with those two entities. And I mean, that is, it's just such a significant um development for the pwhpa given mark walter's bankroll um given their professional sport portfolios i mean mark walter is the controlling owner for people who don't know is the controlling owner of the los angeles dodgers he's a part owner of the lakers the la spark in the wmba he's part of the ownership group that took mm-hmm. over chelsea football i mean billy jean king and her partner Alana Kloss, they they run billy jean king enterprises and they have mi- minority stakes in in professional teams as well and and come with really obvious cachet in terms of what Billie Jean King has done in tennis and, and for, for women in sport. And so I think working with those that group, um, one thing that was said to me is, you know, when it came to that January kind of idea, um, one person kind of said to me in the group, I think we naively. Thought that we could get everything together to start by January, go from May to January and have all our T's crossed and our I's dotted. And that just wasn't something that yeah. was realistic once they started actually working with this group of investors. And you look at how do you like, they've got to build out where the teams are going to be, where they're going to play, who their sponsorships are going to be, who their partnerships are going to be. They're working on player contracts, they're working on a collective bargaining agreement there's you know there's so many things that need to be done to do this in the way that they want and to do it right and that's what's taking so long has been what's explained to me and and you know you've got to be patient Mm -hmm. and it's taking a long time we talk about players like lauren gable she was a pwhpa member she she left she signed a two-year deal with the boston pride i mean brianna decker is now working with the phf that is very significant um and, and she said to me when I asked her about joining the PHF is, you know, there was kind of not a whole lot going on in the PWHPA and I want to be involved and I want to help. And this is the only place that I can do that. Um, so not everyone is, is, is okay with, with the wait time, but the members who are still with the PWHPA are kind of saying to me, you know, we, we, it's easier to be patient when you trust the people that are doing these things and, and it just takes time to do it. Right. You know, the, the one kind of banger quote from Liz Knox, who's a consultant with the PWHPA board said to me pretty simply, you know, to build something bigger, you need more time. And this investor group is not only aligned in our vision to do, you know, this viable, sustainable pro league, um, but they believe that they deserve a little bit more. And so it's taking some time to to get everything done, but they believe that when it is done, it's going to be worth everyone's time and it's going to be exactly what they were looking for.
1: The, the the one thing that I do hope for because we focus a lot on the athletes, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. and them being uh, properly compensated and treated properly as professionals mm-hmm. as they are. The the one thing um, that I really hope happens out of all of it is not just the athletes but everybody around the PWHPA. I mean, Haley, as you know, there are a lot of people that work in and around the PW that don't make any money, that do yeah. a lot of heavy lifting for a lot of these events. I really hope... That as much as there is a premium placed on the athletes, like they're the stars of the show, we get it. But that there are new jobs and new opportunities for, for people sure. that have, the people have put in countless hours and yeah. worked for near nothing to get the PW to this place mm-hmm. where you, know, you can you know, introduce you know, heavyweights, you know, Billie Jean King, Mark Walters, these types of people to take it yeah. to the next level. Essentially what I'm saying is I hope they don't get left behind. Through yeah. all of this, because yeah. they've done a ton.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure.
1: Uh, okay, so we got a cozy really two minutes to talk about the too. Flames.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, we're all good. i got like two minutes to talk Flames with you here, and I want to make sure we get in something about Nazem Kadri. I was yeah. making this point to Fridge the other day. Is it just me, or every time I watch the Calgary Flames, Nazem Kadri's is the best player on the ice? True or false?
0: Yeah. Uh, I said that on the show yesterday. And I, and I said, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that he has been better than advertised. I was banging the Kadri drum all summer. Um, I got to the point where yeah. people were saying, like, we get it. You think the Flames should sign Kadri? Like, who else? And I said, there's nobody else. If the <laughs> Flames want to turn this weird summer into, you know, okay, yeah, you got Hubert and Uyghur. I was saying, like, that's not enough. That's step one. That is step one to minimizing the damage. If you really want to win, you've got to go and get Nazem Cadre. You have to. Because he is going to give you so many things that you need. He's going to give you even more of that veteran. You know, he's been there, done that experience that we know Daryl Sutter likes. He's a guy who's going to show up when it matters. He's always going to give you everything you got. Again, something we know Daryl Sutter likes, and he's skilled. If we, I was saying, like, if you can see just yeah. a little bit of that <laughs> offensive production next season, sure, he might not score at 100 point <laughs> pace again, um, which, I mean, he's lights out to start the year he is um, but if if you can get some of that offensive uptick that you saw from Cadre in colorado uh that is going to be your perfect second line center and so far that second line's been the most consistent probably best offensive line i i love the combination of those yep. three guys they've got a nose for the net they're they're like dog on a bone when it comes to the puck um, i think he's been awesome i think I thought Nazem Kadri was really good from watching him in Toronto and watching him in Colorado, and then you watch him every single day with the Flames, and you're like, "Oh yeah, he's really good." Like he's someone. If you watch him more, you start to appreciate him even more. And I'm with you. I think he's been mm-hmm. the best player on the ice consistently, early on for the Flames, and I think he's been better than I expected. And I was banging the "You got to go get Kadri" drum all summer. So,
1: so he, he, here's the other here's the other biggie. We'll uh, we'll leave you on this one, Haley. Who starts for Calgary against the Oilers? Hmm.
0: Um, I think I think you should. Jeez, Vladar did well. You know, Markstrom wants it. You know,
1: Markstrom wants it. I think so, and I think when you consider,
0: yeah, and you consider that he might be fighting a little bit. He's fighting for sight lines. He's fighting. He's fighting it a bit. He wasn't great to start the year. I think the fact that he had a really good game against Pittsburgh, you've got to go back to him so he can build off of that and get two good starts in a row. And it's only two games this week. Mm -hmm. I know they said they wanted to play Vladar once a week. I think if you skip over Vladar this week and give him one or two starts in one of the weeks where they play four or five games, it's all going to even out eventually. I think you go, I think you go back to Markstrom. I know we had issues against Edmonton in the playoffs and this is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's. You got to get him to figure that out in the regular season, or or we don't want to put him up against Edmonton again. I don't know, but I, I think you go back to I think you go back to Markstrom so he can build off of that really good start against Pittsburgh, and he had a really good final forty yeah. against Carolina, really good game against the Penguins. I think you go back to him and ed, against Edmonton and and let him continue to build. But I don't know. I I, can, I never I, can, uh, I don't want to try to make a prediction on what Daryl's going to do with his goalies. So. Uh,
1: no, I know. All, I, all I know is Brock. if uh, knowing <laughs> no, know, <laughs> knowing Marks from the little bit that I do, I can see him after that Pittsburgh game sitting in the dressing room saying, I'm not taking this equipment off until you tell me I'm playing Saturday against Edmonton. <laughs> I am not taking this off, and I will go into the coach's office next. Uh, he Haley, you're the play, best. Man. Um I know, and he's listen, he's awesome, and Elliot and I, when we talked to him in Paris, he's like, look, I got to get over, like, this is, I know I got to get past this. You know, mm-hmm. he's good against, like, there are, you know, 30 other teams that he's excellent against. He's just got that Edmonton thing, that, that the one hurdle uh, for Jacob Markstrom. Anyhow, uh, you're awesome. Thanks, as always. Your, your expertise, uh, you know, is wide-ranging, and you showed it here today. Thanks, as always, Haley. You're the best.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Have a good rest of the show.
1: Uh, there she is, Haley Salivian from Sportsnet 960, uh, host of Hockey Central 960, also hockey writer, uh, covering the uh, covering the entire NHL and covering women's hockey specifically. Right now, the PWHPA for the Athletic. All right, quick pause, quick breath. We're back with Kevin Kurz. We are talking about the Islanders coming off that huge win last night against the New York Rangers, all eyes on Sorokin. We'll talk to Kurz in moments. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment.
0: Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Catching up with Salvian. Love the Haley. Uh, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. I want to thank Haley Salvian for stopping by. And i got to say, I'm really proud of myself so far. I have uh, resisted the temptation uh, to indulge myself in this uh, this new book, which is, which is mainly photographs. Uh, but it's great stories of all the old WHA teams as well, called Behind the Lens of World Hockey Association. Fifty years later, uh, photography from Steve Babineau. It's uh, just outstanding, and the minute this program goes off the air, I'm going to hound my producer, Matt Marchese, to book him. Uh, as we have tried to hound Kevin Kurz and book him on the program, and it turns out today was actually the better day to have him on after that performance by Elias Sorokin last night as the Islanders beat the Rangers. shutout out style. Kevin Kurz joins me now. How are you doing today, Kev?
3: Good, Jeff. Good. Good to, good to be with you.
1: Uh, the pleasure is all mine. 41 save, shutout last night by Ilya Sorokin. You know, I uh, was trying to make the point in the summer to people that, you know, there's one other goaltender here you need to put in that, you know, Vasilevsky, Shosturkin, Markstrom, Saros, Demko mix, and that's the guy uh, with the New York Islanders. And specifically in the first period, I don't know how many right pad saves Sorokin made, but I was running out of fingers uh, on my hands. He was, like, just flat out, you know, outstanding last night. Kevin, your thoughts on the performance by Sorokin?
3: Yeah, and and you know I think you also have to take into account the fact that they they really needed them, right? And that's what great goaltenders do. They they step up when you need them the most. And the Islanders were coming off a three-game losing streak, and 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 they lost all three of those games in, in, in different ways. And and coming out of the road trip in florida where they lost in regulation to both tampa and 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 the panthers there were some real red flags for me so it was a big game last night and it, the rangers were all over the merley obviously the rangers were hungry for a win too they had lost three in a row themselves and uh Sorokin was outstanding yeah. and, and he really allowed them to settle in and and they finally were able to, to generate a little bit more offensively after that
1: You know, I've only ever been to one Islanders-Rangers game, and it was a trip. It was at the old Nassau Coliseum, and it was a blast, and it was dueling chants, and I'm sure there although I didn't see any, I'm sure there were a couple of fights in the stands uh, between the two sides. Uh, For those that haven't been to a Rangers Islanders matchup. And I always say that there's, you know, a couple of things that hockey fans have to do. I think every hockey fan has to have the uh, the Montreal Canadiens Saturday night 701, lights go dark, Cold Play hits, ghosts of the forum, all of that. Everyone needs to have that experience and they also need to have the Rangers Islanders no matter what the venue is. They have to have that experience. For those that haven't been there, describe it if you could. <laughs> He, you know, it's just
3: – I don't know how you describe it in words without being there, but just being in the building – and obviously it's still a new building, uh, UBS, here on Long Island. And yeah. there's just a buzz. There's just a feeling. There's an atmosphere. The fans are there early. They're yelling early. There's there's obviously a lot of Rangers fans, too. Um, and it's the same thing at the Garden. You know, last year – the Last se- I got here in December. Last season, the best regular season game was an Islanders-Rangers game at Madison Square Garden, and both teams are really just going at it. And, and the Islanders were kind of just playing out the string at that point. Um, and Sorokin was fantastic. But I I think it, it definitely translates on the ice. I, I do think the, du- the, the two teams turn it up a notch, and, and they go a little bit harder. And specifically just last night, from the Islanders' perspective, there were a couple guys that were pretty quiet through the first couple weeks that – Maybe they didn't get on the score sheet, but guys like Brock nelson anthony bavillier um they were just a whole lot better than than they had been for the last little while so there's just a buzz in the arena and it starts early and it doesn't let up, and both fan bases you know are well you know in in attendance obviously for obvious reasons because of the proximity but um yeah. there's there's definitely something there that that is that is uh it adds a little bit from from other rivalries. And, you know, again, this was, I think it was turned up a little bit more, even more last night, just because both teams were coming off of losing streaks. So, you knew, you know, you don't want to let a a losing streak fester for too long. And, and so I think there was a little bit extra that, that was added in terms of how the teams are competing on the ice.
1: You know, that the, uh, the rivalry goes back a number of years, as we all know. It's almost like right away the New York Islanders joined the NHL and these two teams are getting at each other. Uh, playoffs always fuel that. Well, I think one of the best things that I ever heard uh, happening was, I think it was at Nassau Coliseum, a Ranger fan had snuck in and he blew it up. Uh, a Stanley Cup balloon for the Rangers, 1994 Stanley Cup win, uh, blew it up and floated it to the top of the rafters. <laughs> and uh, Islanders fans were obviously none too impressed, but like, it's, it's it's good. And like you go to the Rangers, you know, you go to MSG, and it's a pod fan sucks chance. And I can't believe it's, uh, Kevin, I can't believe it's taken so long for someone to finally capitalize. And now we have pod fan sucks. <laughs> so good yeah. job by Denny. To try to uh, cop a couple of bucks here, so well, well done. Um, where you know where are you at? I, w- I want to get to Josh Bailey here in a second, but where are you at on the Islanders right now? Like, do you look at last season as you know that was just the freak, and it was COVID and the road trip and the new rink and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Like, who are the Islanders essentially? Is the the question that I'm asking here?
3: Well, I don't think they look a whole lot different than they did at the second half of last season and that, that's a little bit concerning. it's it's the same issues. We know that they have a solid goaltender, one of the best in Sorokin. Um defensively they're they're different. They're faster on the back end because no longer is there's a Dano Chara or Andy Green and you've got other guys in there getting shots. Alexander Romanoff now paired with Noah Dobson in the top four. He's been he's had his, his good and bad moments so far. I think they're still working out their chemistry um and and then you know depth they've got robin salo sebastian aho and and they're they're still trying to figure out that six d man there's not a whole lot of depth there but it's still a concern whether this team is going to score enough goals and it's it's hard to believe right now they don't have a single goal from a centerman this season uh brock nelson who was their leading goal scorer last year like i said earlier he, he finally had a good game last night after he was pretty invisible uh, Barzell has been okay, but still hasn't scored any goals yet. And, and that's going to have to change. Um, I know he's more of a playmaker, but um, you know, do they have enough wingers around him, which is still a huge question mark. You know, last last night was the third straight game. He started with different wingers, which right away tells you that I think Lane, Lane Lambert is is, is concerned that, that the right pieces aren't here because Barzell has got to be a guy that has an offensive impact more nights than not. Um and he needs those those line mates around him that, that can help finish. And um, that was something that I think we knew at the end of last year. And Lou Lamorello even suggested that he was going to alter the forward group in the off season. It didn't happen. So that, that's where the concern lies. You know, the fourth line's been great, as it has mm-hmm. been for so many years. I think that's been one bright spot, is that those guys look healthy and rejuvenated after the long off season? But just up front, I just, you know, I, 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 if I'm an Islanders fan, Islanders fan I'm concerned if, uh, you know, about the horses they have up front and, and whether they're going to be able to produce enough on a consistent basis. Uh,
1: let me ask you about Josh Bailey. Let, let me, let, let's jump right in there. So he's one game shy of 1,000. Uh, he'll do it all with the same organization, which is always remarkable. Um, I was one of those people at the time. He's in the ninth overall draft picks. So he's a really high pick. Uh, I felt that he was... Um, rushed into the NHL and sending him back to Windsor for that year might not have been the worst thing at all, might have been the best thing for him. Uh, Instead, he joined an Islanders team where the leading scorer was Mark Streit and the starting goaltender was Joey McDonald. Uh, It's been a long, strange journey for Josh Bailey along the way. Your thoughts on the soon-to-be 1,000-game man with the Islanders.
3: Yeah, it's interesting you say that maybe he was rushed into the league because I, I did talk to an executive with another team um, who's been doing this a long time, and, and he told me the same thing that he, that he thought that wasn't the right decision at the time, and maybe it, it set Bailey back a little bit, but. Um, you know, I I, I talked to Bob Bugner, and and that, that's why I had to bail on here Tuesday because, of course, I, you know I've been going back and forth with Bob <laughs> wanting to talk to him, and that's he right. wants to call me at the exact same time I'm supposed to go on with you. Um, but you know, B- Bob, I'll text Bob him. I'll I'll out.
1: text him after the show and rip him. Don't worry. I know I know yeah, I know yeah. him well. I'll, I'll text him I after say that. thanks for wrecking my show, Boogie. <laughs>
3: Um, but you know, he was, as is the case with a lot of these junior players that end up making the NHL, he was telling me he was calling Garth snow over and over again, saying, when am I going to get Josh Bailey back? And, um, you know, Bob, I think recognized what a lot of people recognize right now and, and still say about Josh Bailey and that the reason he's lasted so long is just because he's a cerebral smart player. And, um, That's sort of, it's, you know, those, those smart players, obviously they, they tend to be a little bit healthier because they always know where to go on the ice and to avoid those big hits. And I think Bailey's been able to do that. But um, what's interesting to me about Josh Bailey more than anything is, is the relationship he's had with the fan base here over the years, because he's such a polarizing guy. And it's almost like every Islanders fan you talk to, they either love the guy or they want to run him out of town. So there's really no middle ground with him. Um, And I think it's, you know, you know, what I compare it to, I compare it a little bit to Patrick Marlowe in San Jose, who I covered for a long time because they're not the most, most emotional, boisterous, energetic guys on the ice. Right. But, you know, you know, they have that fire. It just doesn't always show outwardly. And you've seen Bailey in the past really pick up his game and, and the playoffs, especially score some really big goals for this franchise. And then there's other times where you don't really notice him for a week, right? And, you know, he's not on the same level talent wise as Patrick Marlowe, but I think that was something that frustrated sharks fans that, that, you know, so I, I just, I see a little bit of a similarity there, but Anytime, as you know, Jeff, a guy reaches a thousand games in this league, um, it's it's such an accomplishment. And I think the majority of Islanders fans are, are happy that he's been able to do it in an Islanders uniform. And frankly, I was a little bit surprised mm-hmm. that, that he was scratched last weekend, a healthy scratch in Tampa Bay, when he could have reached a thousand at home against the Rangers. And I wonder how that sits in a dressing room with, with, you know, a new head coach that does that with, with you know, Josh is still liked from by his teammates um, as far as I can tell. So I thought that was a little bit of a strange situation that they now pushed 1,000 to tomorrow night in Raleigh. You know, he, he had a bunch of family here last night that I think was exp- that they were expecting to play 1,000 here at home. And now, they, you know, mm. they got to get on a plane and go down to Raleigh to see it
1: would Gerard Gallant have been an assistant with the Islanders I'm just thinking in his first in his rookie year would Gallant have been one of the assistants with Scott Gordon I think good, that's I'm just a good thinking question. Like it would have made it would have been it would it would have been fantastic if it would have been against the Rangers because there is Gerard Gallant head coach of the New York Rangers he would have been let me just do a quick check here uh do 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 this is always very compelling let's all go to hockey db <laughs> at the same there well, he is Ger- you know, Ger- gerard was- gerard galant with scott Gordon. you know what galant was so galant would have been one of the assistants and not that you'd not make roster decisions based on uh, events like this and, and the poetry of it all but that would have been a wonderful night for him because he had yeah, coaching the rangers been- was assistant with exactly, the allen yeah. would have been perfect yeah. And they, you
3: know, obviously mm. the, the, the big ceremony comes later, but it still would have been, you know, first TV timeout, I would assume they would have played a, you know, a, a nice big, uh, yeah. congratulations on the jumbotron. And, um, so, you know, the fact that that didn't happen, I, I, I do question a little bit why Josh Bailey was the one to come out of the lineup as a healthy scratch, uh, on Saturday in Tampa Bay, because he was, you know, a lot of guys weren't going, um, it was just a little bit odd to me that he was the one that, that, that Lane Lambert chose to
1: sit. You got a couple of minutes here. Speaking of scratches, uh, Tampa was Josh Bailey and then Florida was Anthony Bavillier. What's mm-hmm. happened to him? What's going on with Bavillier? It,
3: it just seems like they, it, it, he just needs a little message sending every once in a while. And it happened to him last year. Uh, I remember it was in, in December, he was a healthy scratch and, and he came back and then he had a pretty good run after that. Um, you know, if the Islanders are, are, are going to be have success with this forward group, it's guys like Bovillier they need to take that next step in their careers. You know, Oliver Wallstrom is off to a nice start, and he got a look on the Barzell line last night, which is something that didn't work last season. But, you know, I think they hope that Wallstrom's taken another step. Beauvillier's another guy that, that is going to have to do more than he did last season. You know, I think he only ended up with 30-some points in, in 70-something games um he's a guy they need on a nightly basis and and he did respond to his credit he had a very good game i thought he was arguably their their best forward last night i think he had five shots on goal there was one little play where he just sort of danced around barkley Goodrow in the slot and, and and let a dangerous shot go that that holak got so that's the moville they need on a nightly basis and you know if those young guys can step up and score goals then it makes Lou look smart, right, that he held on to his, all, all of his assets and he didn't overspend for a free agent or he didn't give up too much. But if those guys don't step yeah. up and, and do more than they did last season, it's only going to put more pressure on the general manager to go out and make a move. And and I still think it's trending towards he's gonna, Lou's going to have to do something sooner than later, but, um, you know, it's still early, as they say, right?
1: We shall see. Um, you know, we looked at this week for the uh, for the Islanders and said, "Ooh, it's a tough one." Uh, the first hurdle cleared through nothing over the Rangers, uh, and then tomorrow it's the Carolina Hurricanes. This is a bat. It's a tough back to back. Carolina mm-hmm. and then Colorado. Oof, that is a, a very challenging <laughs> week uh, for the Islanders. Uh, listen, you're so wonderful to have on. Really thorough as always. Look forward to your um, piece coming up on Josh Bailey. Very much look forward to that. Uh, you be well, and we'll, we'll touch base soon.
3: Thanks, Jeff. Anytime. You got it.
1: Kevin Kurz covers the Islanders for the Athletic. Uh, they grabbed only their third win of the season. Man, it couldn't have come at a better time uh, for the Islanders And Ilya Sorokin. Like if, uh, there were only three games last night, right? So you, you'd think a lot of people that might not be inclined to watch an Islanders game uh, probably watched last night and what a night to have a command performance. Sorokin was outstanding. 41 save performance. Islanders blank the Rangers, 3-0. Uh, tough back-to-back with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Colorado Avalanche coming up uh thanks to kevin kurz from the athletic for stopping by uh thanks to haley salivian from hockey central 960 uh, and the athletic as well talking about the pwhpa the phf the national women's team the calgary flames and why nazim kadri is the perfect fit for brad true living and daryl sutter in calgary uh, thanks to rod brindamore and the carolina hurricanes for making him available really interesting conversation there and you gotta wonder where ethan Bear is gonna end up here folks and in a couple of moments, we'll find out if anyone grabs Keith Furbello's off waivers. And thanks, as always, to Elliot Friedman for stopping by. Ten games tonight around the NHL. No reason not to watch some hockey. Choose. You've got ten. A lot of flavors tonight. And a really interesting one at Climate Pledge Arena is the Vancouver Canucks. Looking for elusive win number one. Show's back on the air tomorrow at noon. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks to Derek Brandeo for filling in for Lance as well. We're back tomorrow.